How many of you have ever been told to be on your best behavior? Let me see the hands. Okay, yeah. Okay, how many were told this morning to be on their best behavior? <laughs> yeah, I told Dennis earlier to be on his best behavior. And I thought he did a pretty good job. I thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah, we've probably been told this a lot. We hear it a lot. Uh, moms tell their kids this when visitors are coming over to the house. Uh, dads tell their children this when they go off to the you know first day of school or whatever for the year. Uh, Parents. Uh, Teachers tell students when they're on field trips, you know, now, when we go and we do this, you need to be on your best behavior, right? This kind of stuff comes up all the time. Um, managers say it to their employees when somebody from corporate is going to show up, right? You know, as, hey, so-and-so's coming in. I used to work at a bank for uh, several years, and when the bank examiners are there, be on your best behavior and, um, you know, make sure you tell them that everything is well documented and written down somewhere um, and then try to find it. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, it, it was, I promise, I promise. Um, wives say it to their husbands nearly every time we leave the house, right? I mean, guys, can I get an amen on that? Right? Be on your best behavior, guys. Yeah, and, and if we think about it, in a way, that's, that's almost kind of part of my job description, right? Evangelists are constantly telling the church, you know, from, from you know, sometimes in a kind of a, I hate to say formal setting, but you know, this is kind of the official, you know, we all plan to meet here every Sunday at 1030. You know, I'm always getting up here and telling y'all to be on your best behavior. And of course, preaching to myself as much as I am anybody. But the idea is, you know, hey, be on your best behavior. This morning, uh, that's the message I want to bring to you, is uh, be on your best behavior from Titus chapter 2. So be flipping there if you're not already there in your Bibles. Flip over to that little letter of Titus chapter 2. Uh, this title fits this message perfectly because... Uh, Titus chapter 2 is all about Christians being on their best behavior. Now, it's packaged, yes, as a letter, not directly to Christians, but instead to an evangelist to tell what... what Paul tells Titus what to teach, what to tell Christians to do to be on their best behavior. He says, tell, tell them to do this and tell them to be like this and so on and so forth. So however you slice it though, what we have is an apostle, Paul, okay, an apostle of Jesus Christ, teaching us, we get to read it and find out, even though it was to Titus, to tell other people, Christians, the church, we can read it as the information that it is, information for how Christians need to be on their best behavior, okay? And what sets this, um, this particular teaching about Christians being on their best behavior, because like I said, evangelists are talking about it all the time, uh, in a way, if you, if you want to put it that way, and lots of uh, letters in our Bibles in the New Testament is about us being on our best behavior. What sets this this particular be on your best behavior passage in the Bible apart from some of the others is that it outlines five different groups like it, it calls us to you know our ears to perk up and listen it says uh, older men do this do this and do this so older men are instantly should be going hmm, uh, what oh he's talking about me right? It talks about older women. It talks about uh, younger men. It talks about younger women. It talks about bond slaves. We've got um, these specific groups of people that are, that are, the apostle Paul just calls them out and says, hey, teach this group of people to do this. Teach that group of people to do this. And so as we go along this morning, uh, I, I hope you'll listen closely for your group 
But be sure, listening for your own group, to also listen to the other groups. Um, when we teach on, you know, specific things like, you know, qualifications for elders even, you know, uh, even still, it's important for the church to know that stuff, whether you're ever going to be an elder or not. You know, you could be a, a 14-year-old girl, and you still need to listen to this, because you need to grow up knowing these things. And so, for that matter, listen to all the groups, but also listen closely to all the groups, because some of the things that we're going to talk about over overlap between the groups, like you'll see them in, in both um, areas, and what I'm not going to do is define that word multiple times. So when I say something about being sensible for one group, and then I talk about for being sensible for another group, I'm not going to sit there and define it and give examples on, on both of those things. So listen closely to all the groups, and there's even a couple groups that have an interaction that's commanded. And so um, I'm just going to go ahead and say older women, younger women, there's supposed to be an interaction that goes on. Not to say that the older men and the younger men aren't, but specifically we're given a command here uh, between those two groups. So listen to all of them, all right? Uh, start reading with me, though. Let's get this show on the road and start reading with me right at the beginning of Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1 there. And remember, of course, that the Apostle Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is writing this information, okay? And he writes to Titus, but... But as for you, talking to Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Now, let me point something out that you may not have noticed. This sentence starts with the word but. Anybody notice that? All right. So it may come across like we've picked up in the middle of a, of a, a bigger thought, right? Kind of comes across that way? Because we are, right? We are picking up in the middle of a bigger thought. And so let me, let me quickly set a little context up for you. What the Apostle Paul has been doing up to this point, uh, generally speaking, is giving Titus the qualifications for elders and saying that we need good quality, sound, uh, qualified elders to lead the church because there are these uh, people... <laughs> In the church and around the church, this is going to sound familiar for those of you that have been here at any point during the last 11 weeks, there are people in and around the church who are spreading false doctrine, who are deceiving people, uh, Paul says to Titus, for their own sordid gain, right? Their own dishonest advantage is what they're, what they're going after here, okay? So, so this is kind of the setting. He says we need these leaders because of the, the lies that are going around. We need people to stand up to the truth like that. There's all this terrible false doctrine that's going around. And then he's saying here, but, but as for you, okay, so now here's the contrast. Here's the, the, the turn. But contrary to these men and their false teaching, you, Titus, don't do that. You speak sound doctrine. You teach sound teaching, that sort of thing, okay? And then he jumps, when we get to verse 2, right into what some of those things are. Right into what that sound teaching would be, what that would look like. And this is where we get our be on your best behavior uh, lesson. This is where this be on your best behavior teaching starts for the church. So listen up here in verse 2 now, what he says. <clears throat> Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, Sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Okay, so not hard to see. The very first be on your best behavior lesson is for the older men, okay? Uh, the older men need to be temperate, he says, first of all, in this list. Older men need to be temperate. Uh, this, is, this is balanced. This is even keel. That's what this is talking about. Not prone to uh, hasty or intense reactions to things. So older men need to not be flying off the handle. They ought to control their tempers. Their attitudes shouldn't fly from one extreme extreme emotion to the other. There's a level of calm 
and steadiness that's involved here. It doesn't mean nothing ever gets you riled up and you have no emotions, but there is a level of, of calmness that even when things are a little wild and wacky, even when things are not going the way you feel like they should, there's a, there's a measured reaction to this. And there's a, there's a steadiness that says, I'm not going to go like way off in right or left field on this. I'm going to look at this situation and I'm going I'm to take it in, a, in an even keeled kind of steady way. This is a much needed thing among older men in the Lord's church. Next, Paul says that older men need to be dignified. This means that older men need to behave in ways that can be respected. The word can also be translated and is translated once in your New Testament as honorable, need to be honorable, okay? So older men in the church, your behavior in the church should be an example that is honorable, one that can and ought to, deserves to be respected. We need respectable conduct out of you. This is not only right, because the Bible says to do it, but it's the greatest, greatest example for the, for the church, for, for everyone around us, men, women, children, you name it. This is what the rest of the church needs to see from you and be able to follow that example. The next word in Paul's list for the older men is sensible. Okay, Here, here's that word I threw out before. Uh, sensible. Older men need to behave sensibly. Uh, we're talking about operating with self-control here and a sound mind. That's what the word that Paul actually used means. I know sensible may not always mean that to you, but that is exactly what Paul was meaning here. Having self-control, operating with a sound mind. Older men, like we said before, should be measured in their decision making. Uh, older men need to be the church's great greatest examples of Christians who carefully examine situations and facts and come to logical conclusions and take reasonable action. No, no crazy, you know, what in the world did they do that for? You know, if there's ever something that causes that reaction, it ought to be because that person doesn't understand what scripture says and you can point and say, well, I did this because this is what the Bible says to do, right? right. If anything ever looks odd, it should be because that person looking at it isn't seeing it right. Not because you've gone off and done something that's not sensible, all right? Now, after Paul says older men are to be temperate, dignified, and sensible, he says older men are to be sound, in three different things, three different aspects of, of Christian living. The first aspect is faith. They need to be sound, older men are to be sound in faith. Um, their faith ought to have deep roots, right? You, you, once you get to this older stage in life, or if you're in the older stage and just becoming a Christian, you know, you need to root yourself. It's like retirement funds, you know, if you, if you haven't been working on it, you, you gotta catch up, you know? You, you need to get it sorted out so you can be prepared. It's the same way with being rooted in the faith, we need you to be an example of someone who's, who's steadfast, who's got good, a good solid foundation that, that isn't, is, is unshakable in their faith. Now, no one's gonna be perfect in these things, but man, we need older men, and older men are called to uh, be sound in their faith, okay? So older men, your behavior needs to demonstrate this faith that's steadfast and well-founded. Then Paul says that older men should also be sound in love. Now, to understand how to be sound in love or what this even means, we may need to talk for just a second, maybe should have before, about what, what sound means. Um, the word that, that Paul used in the Greek, um, it looks a lot, they say you don't pronounce it anything like this word, but it looks a lot like our English word hygiene. Now that may come across as a little odd, like a, a 
hygiene, <laughs> you know, uh, older men, yes, you're to brush your teeth and, you know, wear deodorant and take shower and all that good stuff too, uh, but that's not what this is talking about. Being sound, it, it, it is related to our English word hygiene to a degree. We kind of get that from that, but it means to be sound, yes, but it can also mean to be well, as in the opposite of unhealthy, right? Uh, to be in good health in something. So when we measure your level of love, not that anyone's going to actually measure your level of love, but the idea is that you've got a healthy understanding of Christian love, uh, what it means, uh, sacrificial love, brotherly love, all these things. You have a, a healthy understanding and your exercising of that love is healthy. You recognize and understand boundaries. You recognize and understand uh, where and how you should show that love and things like that. Like, like you have a um, on the wellness chart of Christian love, you're up there in the, the top, you know, couple percentile points, whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, you shouldn't say that from up here, should you? Um, I'm trying to equate it to health, and I'm getting out of my wheelhouse here. But, but you understand, it's, it's a, it, he's relating this in a, in a level, of, like a measurement of health. Like when we measure the health of your of love in your life of Christian love in your life and it's the same thing with faith here and and the next term as well it needs to be healthy you need to not be lacking you need to not we don't need older men who are who are sickly in the Christian love department we need we need good strong uh, Christian people who love okay so that's what we're talking about being sound in love and then the third soundness on the thing on the list is perseverance so older men ought to behave as examples of joy-filled endurance you're not just dragging along like you know still here I don't know how much longer I can do this right joy-filled endurance like like we should be looking at the older men who are a decade, two decades, um, three decades, whatever. You're, you're getting up there. We should be looking at you guys who are, who are getting near to the end of the race, who, who have stayed steady all the way to the end, and we ought to be looking at them with, with zero concern that they're going to just pull up and jump out of here at any moment. They're going to jump off the roller coaster at the very top right before it uh, shoots down to the bottom and is almost over. Right? We need this, this endurance that we can look at and say, that person is running just as strong as I bet they ever were. We need that kind of, of patience to be seen, that kind of endurance to be seen. People who are uh, very clearly going to faithfully walk through the ups and downs that this life is going to throw at us as we are all waiting on Christ's return. We need that, that soundness in this department, this soundness in perseverance. So older men, understand, please, the, re the great responsibility that you have in the church. An apostle of Christ has commanded you uh, to be taught to behave in these ways that we've just covered and to be an example of God's high standard for his people. This is what's expected of you. Next, uh, we come to Paul's be on your best behavior teaching for older women, okay? Uh, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, uh, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women, listen up, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, uh, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. 
All right, so you can see pretty clearly right off the bat that, that the older women are also called to be this great, strong example uh, for a specific group in the church, uh, specifically for the younger women is what we're told here. But there's more. They're also actually called on to do some teaching, right? Again, specifically with the impact of that teaching uh, directed toward the younger women. Uh, let's look at the specifics here. First, Paul says uh, older women are likewise to be reverent in their behavior. Now, likewise means just like the older men who were just mentioned, the older women are also to behave reverently, respectably. Uh, this is saying in a way that is becoming of a person who is set apart to service for Christ and, and to God the Father, okay? Now, second on the list, we come to behavior that is not now a, a, a positive command saying you should behave this way, now we come to a, a negative command, and not that it's negative like it's, it's a bad thing that we don't want to hear, but it's phrased in the negative sense. It said, not this, right? You should be this. That's positive. You should not be this. That's the, the, a negative command, okay? Paul says, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine. Now, our society has made such a light thing of, of women drinking away their stress and anxiety. It's, it's a legitimate, serious issue, but we've got women out there. I've recently discovered this term, and it's, it's sad that it's a thing that I guess is pretty popular these days. We've got women out there who are proud to call themselves wine moms. I, I've just recently come across this. I've seen the culture. I've seen the wine mom culture. It, it's printed on t-shirts and bags and aprons and oven mitts and, and you name it, cell phone cases. It, it's all over the place. But I had only recently discovered the, the term. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is all of this wine mom culture, all of this, you know, I'm, I'm taking my kids and basically making them almost like a possession or like a, um, a ball and chain that, you know, man, if I could just get them to grandma's and, and get to the wine. Mm, this is a big thing. Some of you older women are like, you know, whoa. And some younger women are like, yeah, I see it. You know, not that I'm that, but I, I see it. I see my friends around me. I see people in my age group that are that are, are are getting into this. And these people, they think they're being cute and funny, but obviously this issue is far from being cute or funny, right? But Paul mentions another bad behavior that's even more widely accepted than the wine. It's a behavior that's more deceptive than the wine, and in some cases even more dangerous than the wine, and that's gossip, okay? Listen, older women are certainly not the only people prone to gossip and not the only people who ever have or will gossip. Let me be clear about that. But there is a reality that we can face and we can kind of touch on carefully and gently. Uh, we can see where older women could find themselves in a, a stage and a setting even in life that's more susceptible to allowing your minds to wander to be concerned about other people's business and to have the time and the desire to talk to other people about these things. But listen, no one is saying that that's necessarily you. In fact, we're talking about a negative command that we hope is not you, that, that we're, we're calling on uh, to not be um, a description of you, right? We need and hope that we have plenty of older Christian women who are these strong examples of reverent, respectable, self-controlled uh, Christian older women living, right? We need these examples, and uh, I believe we've got many of these examples in our church, but that doesn't mean that older women, I don't 
that it doesn't mean that I don't still need to be teaching you older women what the Bible says here. And we need to be careful and cautious about this because it's dangerous. And, and it's, you always got to look when the Bible puts something that, that we think, you know, ah, I got control of this right next to something that we go, huh, why knows? When, when they're side by side, that kind of probably means it's a little deceiving that if we go, no problem with this. And I can't believe those people do that. When they're side by side, you know, when, when our temper is compared, when, when controlling our temper is compared to someone who doesn't murder, like when we get those two things side by side and we think one's not that big of a deal and then it's next to murder, we need to probably take a second look at these things and, and not just write them off like, I'll never have a problem with that. I'll never have a problem with that. Well, you may never have a problem with wine. Make sure you check the gossip column. Make sure, you, wait a second. I meant check mark when you... <laughs> That sounded like I was like, look at the newspaper at the gossip column. That's not what I meant at all. <laughs> That's not what I meant. I mean, make sure that you have carefully taken care of that. Look through uh, your life with a sober, honest mind and make sure that you're not doing that. And even if you think what you're doing is not that big of a deal, would it hurt to just cut it out altogether? It, it, it could only be an okay thing. If you're like, I'm not sure if that's really gossip or not. It's probably not a situation where it would hurt to just don't do it. When in doubt, just, just, just don't, don't say it. Don't talk about it. Don't bring it up, right? Okay? Now, immediately uh, following all of this, uh, th there's more than just keeping yourself from being uh, a gossip or enslaved to wine. Paul says older women are to be teaching what is good. And after he says teaching what is good, Paul shows us a list of some of the things that the older women are to be teaching that is good and who they should be teaching those things to, who needs to be learning from them. In verses 4 and 5, we see that the teaching, the example, the encouragement from older women is to have its effect on the younger women. That's who's supposed to be receiving the teaching. The older women are to encourage them and teach them to do and become these certain things, these good things. And why does it say that? So that God's word is not dishonored, but instead the opposite would be true, that God's word would be honored. So what we're going to do, because we're going to overlap here for a second, is we're going to kind of move on on the screen and we're going to say that we're looking at the younger women now, but older women, you listen because technically we're finishing up a list of things that you need to be the example of and the teacher of for the younger women. And then younger women, you need to be listening because now we're getting into what Paul says Timothy needs to make, Titus needs to be making sure younger women are learning from the older women. So younger women listen up, older women listen up. Verses 4 and 5 here, we learn that uh, younger women are to be learning from these older women to love your husbands, to love your children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, and be subject to your own husbands, uh, among other things, certainly, okay? So younger women, uh, listen, even if you're in, a, in an earlier stage in life or whatever stage in life, younger women, even if you don't have a, a husband yet, you need to view your time around these wonderful Christian examples of older women in the church as a classroom. Learn from them. Look at their example. Don't go, you know, well, that's not the way I'm going to do that. That's not the way I'm going to do that. Okay? It doesn't mean everything they do is, is great. Maybe it's not. No one's perfect. Don't, don't worship them. But look and see if there's wisdom. 
biblical wisdom in the way they're handling these aspects that they're supposed to be teaching you. And hopefully they're actually spending some time actually verbally uh, teaching you things rather than, than just kind of going about their life and hoping that you, you take notice, okay? The Bible teaches on these subjects. Um, so, for instance, the loving your husbands, even if you don't have a husband, right? Well, that's where we started. I'm getting in circles here. We started with the love your husband thing, right? So the Bible teaches on this subject. So pay attention to these older women who know how to do that according to the Bible, the way the Bible says. Younger women, even if you don't have children, pay attention to these older women who can teach you how to love your children the right way. Again, the Bible has plenty to say on this matter. It's not just that these people have figured it out in the sense of, you know, they on their own have figured out a good way to do this. These older women have been through the Bible, have studied these things, and have learned through, um, through uh, reading and studying, but also through mistakes and, and even um, not just mistakes, but successes, you know, things they've done right, that they're like, hey, this turned out really good, and I was doing it the Bible way. Learn from these women who have learned from the Bible how to raise children as they're taught to do, how to love their children. So hopefully you get the idea, younger women, you've got to pay attention to the older women as these real-life examples of sensible women, of pure women, of workers in the home, kind women, women who respect God's valuable role as, as wives, to their husbands and mothers to their children. That's, that's what you need to be doing. And let me put this into perspective before we move on how important this is. This is incredibly important because nations rise and fall on this stuff. All right? I want you older women to really understand and you younger women to really understand what a responsibility it is. Older women to teach these younger women. Uh, younger women to listen and pay attention to these older women. Nations rise and fall based on this stuff because nations stand on two legs, the church and the family. You break either one of those legs and a nation has a real hard time standing. Uh, not, it won't stand for long, right? You know, you break both your legs, there's literally going to be a thousand one, thousand two. You know, there's going to be a period of time where you're still upright, but you will fall. Okay? A nation may not fall immediately, but a nation is on the way to the ground. Splat is coming if we cut out either one of these legs, church and family, right? So here's the perspective that you need to understand. Great Christian wives and mothers make great Christian families. And great Christian families make up a great church. Again, entire nations prosper and thrive when the family and the church are strong and faithful. And you, you women, older and younger, are at the forefront of this. Uh, this concept of, of, of people around the church uh, being better because of uh, the family and the church being what they should be. It's supported in a way by Paul's words at the end of verse 5 where he wrote there, so that the word of God will not be dishonored, right? We're doing this for an effect. I mean, we're doing this to be obedient, but we're doing this knowing full well that it also has a positive benefit on the, the church around us and the world around us, right? When wives and mothers and families in the church are doing what they should, God's word is proven. It's proven to be effective, to be beautiful, to be the best way to live. And when God's word is honored and respect, or God's word is honored and respected, when we honor and respect his word through our obedience. So this is a really, really important and valuable thing that both the older and younger women have to do here. All right? The fourth beyond your best behavior lesson is for the younger men, okay? Uh, look at verse 6 there where Paul writes to Titus. He says, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. So, 
Titus is being told as a younger man himself to urge other younger men to be sensible. Now, if there's one thing that young men need to be told, it's to be sensible, right? Some of you, man, I, I said that and you were like, eyebrows raised and you're like, amen to that, right? You know, younger men, uh, we got to be told, uh, I say we, uh, you guys look at me sometimes and some of you don't know how old I am. I'm actually really young. I'm pre, very prematurely gray. I started going gray in my early 20s and I've not been gray very long. So I'm still pretty young. So, so I'm like Titus. I'm going to urge my fellow young men to be sensible, right? Okay. So the term sensible that, that, um, that Paul uses here to tell Titus, it means to be of sound mind, to be sober-minded. We kind of covered that before. Or we could say to think rightly. Remember that high standard and that lofty example that the older men uh, were, to, were to have? They're to behave and be that great example. Remember that, that standard? Well, the ideal scenario would have the younger men learning now to be what the older men in the church are to become, right? We need younger men learning this right-mindedness, this sober-mindedness, this sound reasoning and behavior now. While you're young, we need to be learning this stuff so that as you become older men, uh, you don't have to be that old. You could be as young as me still and learn this stuff. Uh, so that when you become an older man, as, as you progress through, through the years, and, and it'd be great if you knew all this stuff while you were still a younger man, so I'm not trying to fast forward your life, okay? But so that you're preparing yourself. Start learning this stuff now. Start thinking about this stuff now so that you're preparing yourself to be what God expects you to be as you go on down the line. You don't want to wait till you're 60 and be like, is this old? Or 75, is this old? You know, you don't want to be questioning, is this old? Is it time for me to learn this stuff now? No, start learning it now. Because, look, I joke, but I'm, I'm now where I'm going, am I old? <laughs> you know, I do a lot when I talk to younger people. Um, it comes up all the time. But, but I mean, it's, it's time now. Go ahead, no matter where you are in life, younger men, start learning these things. That would be sensible, don't you think? And there's going to come a point in time where God expects you to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Young men, I know how tempting it is right now to, to try to run wild, to get involved in a bunch of silliness and shenanigans, to stay busy and ignore or even uh, just fail to even know that, that right now I should be focused on this stuff, that right now I should be working on uh, maturing as a man and maturing spiritually and maturing for the sake of others. Right? We don't think about that very often that I need to do this for other people as an example to the church uh, around me and for their benefit, but we do, okay? Uh, there are a lot of ultimately useless things that can keep you from thinking about this stuff. I get it, but I'm urging you as an evangelist should, as Titus was told to do, to be sensible, to start preparing the younger man to become what the older man in the church needs to be. Now, we'll move on. Verses seven and eight are likely a reference to all people within the church, um, more than likely all people within the church here. Let, let's read it and we'll talk about this. Paul says, in all things, he's talking to Titus, remember, in all things show yourself, so he's talking to Titus, to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, beyond, uh, uh, I'm sorry, sound in speech which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. So soak that list in. Soak that list in. 
Be an example of good deeds, purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. Think about who that could apply to. Does that sound like maybe everybody needs that? Or does that sound like only one of these groups needs that? Yeah, everybody. Everybody is right. The, the whisper in the crowd was correct. Yeah, everybody needs this, right? So it's possible that Paul was telling Titus uh, to be an example of all these things to the younger men. Because does it apply to them? Sure. But it's also very possible, and I think, I tend to believe, that he is now here uh, referring to you, Titus, be an example of all these things to all these people that I've just told you to be teaching these things to, and maybe even the group yet to come that hasn't been mentioned so far. But like we said, like we concluded, it, it doesn't matter which way it's going because these are things, this is a list of things that every Christian needs to be doing. Every Christian needs to be doing good deeds, being pure in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, or speaking in a way that's appropriate for a follower of Christ. And all of this, Paul says, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Paul calls on Titus to be this example of sound doctrine, sound conduct, sound speech, so that others within the church will carry themselves in this way, in, in such a way that when people who are opponents of the church, people who oppose the Lord and His church, that they'll be put to shame, that they'll have nothing bad to say about us. They won't have any dirt. There won't be any skeletons in the spiritual closet. Um, for generations, the church, since it began, the church has had opponents, active opponents. We've not just gone through some spells. We have always had active uh, opponents. And those opponents have always looked for inconsistencies in our beliefs, hypocrisy in our actions, and or unholiness in our words, in our speech. And all of this, why? So that they could find something bad to say about the Lord's church, to drag us through the mud, to try to take away our credibility so that the movement can't move forward. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to stop it by, by spreading a little mud, flinging a little dirt, right? It's, it's like our, our political stuff going on these days, right? So older men, older women, younger women, younger men, everybody we've mentioned so far, we need to bear this stuff in mind. All of this has been mentioned. We need to bear this in mind and carry this responsibility seriously. What we're talking about is not just a, you know, hey, I may be on board with that or I may not be on board with that. No, we've got to get serious about this and have some, some focus and some intentionality. Like I've got to go home and I might need to write this stuff down. I may need to put a bookmark right here in my Bible this week as I think about these things a little deeper and, and kind of measure and analyze my own life on this stuff because we need to do this for a very important reason, Paul is saying, right? If, guys, if you're not sure about your deeds and your doctrine and your speech, you need to work on it. Work to improve it. Study the Bible on these things. Understand what the Bible says about these things. And then for crying out loud, apply it. Apply it to your life. Start living this way. It may mean that the way you acted Saturday is going to look so different on Sunday. Now, hopefully that kind of... Uh, that kind of jump doesn't keep going. You, don't, you want to go forward and never backward, right? But it may be that when you start applying this stuff, the way you talk, the people you hang out with, the, the way you conduct yourself, uh, the involvement that you have in the church and in the lives of the people of the church specifically, we're saying, it may be that that looks totally different. That's okay. That's expected. I'm trying to get you to understand that you're not just going to go, you know, like, well, I'm going to ease into this. I'm going to stick my toe in the water and see how I like it. No, you just have to start doing it. 
You have to start being this example. And no one, we may notice the difference, but no one is going to go, wish so-and-so wasn't so involved and helpful now, you know. Wish, wish that person wasn't, you know, so respectable and honorable, you know. They, they never were before. What's got them all, you know, like that now? You know? No, we're going to be like, wow, look at the change in so-and-so's life. You know, wow, I want to be around that person. I'm glad that person is that example for me. It makes it feel like I can do it now, right? So we've got to get serious about this stuff. And older men, you've got your marching orders. Older women, so do you. Younger women, you've got a responsibility. Younger men, you've got to really get this stuff together in a time that is hard to get this stuff together. But we've got to do it. Remembering... It's all so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about it. It's the right thing to do, but it's also how we do spiritual warfare. It's how we combat opponents of the church. It's how we protect the beauty and the dignity of the Lord and His Word and His church and what He's doing with us on earth. So, so this is important, okay? Now, the final be on your best behavior group that's mentioned in this text is the bond slaves, okay? Uh, listen to verses 9 and 10. Uh, he says, Paul says, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but, instead, right, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. So remember when he says they, we got to remember Paul's writing to Titus to tell the bond slaves this. So they is going to be the bond slaves. So that they, in their actions, in their conduct, their best behavior, they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this particular group here because none of us are or have been bond slaves in the context that Paul is referring to here. However, we've seen before, we've heard it before, and we can certainly see the value of applying this to a, a Christian employee and, a, and, a, and their interactions with their employer, right? But we also have Bible passages that tell us how we're to work, how we're to labor, whether we have an employer uh, relationship or we're a business owner, uh, self-employed, whatever. We already have passages that tell us to be honest in our dealings all the time, to let our yes be yes and our no be no, to not steal, to work heartily in everything we do as for the Lord and to do everything we do to the glory of God. So we've got plenty of Bible teaching on this. So maybe, just maybe this text about bond slaves would be better suited for a situation where we get a little whiny and we feel kind of like a slave to somebody. Maybe this would be better suited in today's context when, when we're in a situation where we feel really unfairly disadvantaged. Perhaps a situation where somebody's lording their power and authority over us. Maybe we got a bad boss. Maybe we've got an unhealthy, uh, um, you know, kind of somebody's overstepping boundaries, that sort of situation. Uh, or a situation where we feel like our hands are kind of tied and we can't do much to change this situation to make it where it feels more positive to us. But even in those circumstances, in those situations, I say, let's go ahead and do what Paul instructed those Christian bond slaves to do. Be subject to those people. Go ahead and try to actually please them. You put the positivity into that negative situation. Don't be argumentative. Don't say, well, if they're going to treat me like this, I'm going to take a little extra of this. I'm going to take a little extra of that. Don't be pilfering. Don't take what's not yours. Don't take more than you should. All that kind of stuff. Be upright and honest in all your dealings rather than sneaky and manipulative. And again, Paul points to the positive light in this situation that this kind of behavior shines a light on God and 
his word, right? Paul says this kind of behavior is how we can adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. What would it mean to adorn the doctrine of God? So let's take the doctrine of God. We know uh, that that would mean, you know, proper sound teaching, okay? Everything that he said, remember we started with, he said, but, but you, Titus, teach sound doctrine, okay? So that doctrine, the things we've been talking about that we need to do, we would show, we would make it as beautiful as it could be. When you wake up in the morning, you all look in the mirror and you think, I could look better than this, right? <laughs> I could do something here. Even if it's just run the comb through the hair, you know, or just, you know, splash the water on the face to get these eyes open a little more, you know, whatever. I can look better than this, right? Well, the teaching of God can look great on paper, but it can look so beautiful in the life of someone who is doing it and doing it consistently. And so we can, even in these negative situations, we can adorn the doctrine of God. We can show how, how pretty it can be, how beautiful, what a wonderful thing, what an attractive thing it can be when we behave like this, even when no one else would but only the Christian would. We can adorn the doctrine of God in that way. So church, recognize that each one of you is a walking billboard for Christ at all times, right? We're not like the electric ones you can shut off, you know, at certain times. We're up there all the time. We're on display through the good, through the bad, the hills, the valleys, you name it. You're a walking billboard. Please make sure that your billboard has a good message for the church on it, a good message about the church and about the Lord and his doctrine on it, okay? Now, while bond slaves were the final group of people that were mentioned by Paul here, there is one final beyond your best behavior lesson. It's a powerful one concerning motivation and purpose. Our motivation and our purpose. And it's very quick. If you look here at verses 11 through 14, he says, for the grace of God has appeared. Now, for, that's a, that's a, that's a, um, a reason statement, okay? So do this, older, older men. Do this, older women. Do this, younger women. Do this, younger men. Behave this way, bond slaves, so that this happens and so that happens. For, okay, so here's the reason, here's your purpose. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to uh, purify for himself a people for his own possession. Listen to those last four words zealous for good deeds. In short, it's God's grace that, that should be motivating us to be on our best Christian behavior. God brought to us salvation. We didn't have to go get it. We didn't have to fight a fire-breathing dragon to try to get it. No one had to do that. God brought salvation to us. Don't good deeds usually motivate some, some thankful response? Doesn't someone doing something good for you make you want to do something good for them? Or, or maybe even not for them, but even just because of them, right? Somebody pays for your coffee in front of you in line. You kind of want to pay for the next guys, you know? You can't do something for them, but you just want to do good because they did. God brought salvation to us. 
And he has instructed us to deny ungodliness and worldly pleasures and to live sensibly and righteously and godly even in this wicked present age. You know, we've got all our, all our pat phrases that we use for our nation and this world and where it's going and, and the vehicle it's going in, you know, right? We, 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 we talk all the time about it. We can live this way. We've been taught to live this way even in the present age. He's called us to be on our best behavior. And then that's our motivation. And then there's, there's a purpose here for us. God has a purpose for us. He sent his only son to redeem us from our sin, to pay the price to, to buy us back for his glory. That's the reason he did that. For, because he loves us for his glory. All of this, his love, his, his actions, his attitudes toward us, it's all for his glory. He deserves that. And it says to purify for himself a group of people for his own possession. He wants to make us what, what he wants us to be so that we can be his, so that we can belong to him. And that's what we want. We want to belong to him. We don't want to be on the outside. We want to be his possession. We want to be his, and he wants to purify a group of people for his own possession. And then as the very last part of verse 14 teaches us, it says there basically, it's teaching us that we've been saved to serve, right? I mean, in short, we distill that down. That's what that means. We've been saved to serve. He redeemed us, saved us, to be his special people, zealous for good deeds. Church, have you heard anything today that applies to you? Say yes. Raise your hand. Have you heard anything that applies to you? Yeah, I, I bet. Have you heard anything that you can stand to improve upon in your life? Have you heard anything that you could start doing even today while we're gathered together before you walk out of this building? Something you could do a little better. I think if we give that one just a couple more minutes, we could think of that, right? Kind of put you on the spot, didn't I? Have you heard some things that maybe need to be more of a, of a long-term, part of your long-term plans for improvement? You heard something like that? You know, I got, I got a little ways to go on that one, but I'm willing to start now because I see it, right? I know I have heard all of these things. And I certainly pray that you have as well. Church, let's be on our best behavior, not for a, a pat on our own back. And not just for, uh, not just in an effort only to help others. Not only for that reason. That's one of the reasons. But ultimately, to bring glory to our great God who brought salvation to us.